All right. Well, after a week off last week, we apologize for that. Uh, we're back with the uh, Softy and Hawk Blogger podcast uh, with our buddy from HawkBlogger.com, Brian Nemhauser, joining us on the air. Uh, I guess it's the air. I don't know, the internet, whatever you want to call it. Brian, how are you, pal? I'm doing good, Dave, but I, I want to first ask you, can you check and make sure that you have no puncture wounds anywhere on your body? I, I hear you went to a 49ers game. Uh, I did. I did go to a 49er game, and let me just tell you this. Uh, the, the odds of getting shanked at Levi Stadium, nowhere near as high as they were at Candlestick Park. Oh, that's good to yeah, hear. Yeah, like, no, it's like uh, it's like going from uh, – you ever see uh, the first National Lampoon's vacation movie? Of course. When they were all stuck in uh, in St. Louis and uh, they pulled over for directions. Uh, if that were Candlestick Park, then uh, <laughs> this place is like Wally World, okay? I gotcha. mean, it's uh, not intimidating whatsoever. I mean, it was kind of barren, too, for uh, the majority of the game. Have you been down there for a game yet, by the way? I haven't. You know, I, I've been scared off not just by the uh, repeated beatings and, and uh, stabbings, but but the, uh, the supposed – traffic issues getting in and out of that place is supposed to be just a nightmare yeah we had no problems in that regard but uh i don't know man maybe it's just one of the perks of being in the media you know you get the the special access that the regular joes don't get but it was i think it's a perk that uh the 49ers suck so bad that nobody came to the game that's part of it that's part of it yeah they've uh, they've jumped off the wagon man no doubt about it but before we talk about the cowboy game you know how about we go back and talk about what happened against san francisco you know obviously a day where the hawks win 20 to 3 could have been worse. Could have easily been a you know a 27-28-3-31-3 type game. And offense again struggles in the red zone. Uh, they get the one touchdown on the opening drive, and then uh, obviously just 13 points the rest of the way. But did you walk away from that Niner game feeling worse, better, or the same about this team's prospects down the road? Well, yeah. I mean, it's easy to say better, and and that happens to be true. Um, but but for a little different reason, I think most might might realize like. Um, you know, 20 to three, obviously the defense gets a ton of praise. They shut them down and, and <laughs> 49ers offense looked ready to be shut down. But, um, the part that impressed me the most was I, I thought that was Russell Wilson's best game of the season. Hmm. Now he threw two interceptions and they both were, I think, ill-advised. I think Pete Carroll, you know, even let him off the hook too much on the first one. I, I don't think a red zone interception is acceptable period, but Set aside those two plays, set aside at least two plays where I think he, he uh, you know, held on the ball and got, got sacked as a result. I thought he made his best decisions. I thought he threw the ball in rhythm more than he has at any point this season. Um, I thought he made good choices and was accurate with the ball. So um, I thought that was a really encouraging step forward for a player that, you know, look, I, I continue to hold as a guy that has not arrived yet. Um, you know, everyone, he's made it two Super Bowls with his team. I don't, I think they're asking more of him this year. Yep. Um, I don't think he's done. Um, I think he's, you know, progressed, but I don't think nearly as much as the team has needed him to. And I thought that was a good step forward for him. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing if he can do it two weeks in a row. Yeah. When you, uh, when you say that they're asking more of him, I mean, the numbers back that up that he uh, he's on pace for 466 pass attempts, which would be the most in his career in four years as a Seahawk. Uh, he's on pace for 3,800 yards, which would be the highest for his career as a Seahawk. Uh, but he's also on pace for his fewest touchdowns and his most picks and his second lowest quarterback rating and his most sacks. So, I mean, obviously that's got a lot to do with the guys around him, the offensive line, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I threw the number out there on the show, I think it was on Wednesday, that among quarterbacks with 150 passes or more, 
Russell Wilson is leading the league in completion percentage at 69.6%. Uh, uh, who's the guy from um, Tyrod Taylor from Buffalo is uh, in front of him, but he hasn't started for the last two weeks. They've given the ball to EJ Manuel. So I don't know. I mean, when you hear numbers like that, uh, does that do anything for you? 69.6%. You remember in the uh, before last year, the offseason of after the 2013 season, Pete Carroll talked about getting Russell Wilson to 70% completion rate, and he's almost there right now. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think we saw last year that a big part of um, the plan to do that involved, you know, integrating a guy like Percy Harvin into the offense and having a lot of short passes. And, and I think we also saw that that's not, and that's not who Russell Wilson is. He is not a guy that throws a lot of short passes. He did, you know, he's not historically even thrown swing passes to his running backs very well or very often. And he is very good at throwing the deep ball, which happens to be, you know, even a great deep ball thrower is not going to complete, you know, 50% of their, their deep throws. Correct. So, um, you know, th- that's been an interesting goal for Russell. I think that what he's doing, he actually was over 72%, you know, through I think it was four or five games last year completion. And that was with that different offense. This year, he's doing it with more, you know, he is throwing the ball down the field um, more than he did last year in the early part of the season. Um, I think they're just starting to get back to play action. I'll tell you what, Dave, the thing that's frustrating for me as just a Joe fan is. Russell Wilson is elite at three things. He is elite at play action passing. He is elite at throwing the deep ball and he's elite at scrambling and improvisation. He always has the third one, but the first two, they went away from this year. He been way down in play action passing. He's been way down in deep throws and they've just started to bring that back. And I think you start to see the, the, you know, the fruits of that. So um, you know, I, I think they're setting him up better. I think he's starting to grow. I really do think this is a transitional year for him. And yeah. I think we're going to look back in a couple of years and say, yeah, that was the year he started to learn how to be a real passer. Yeah, you'll uh, you'll see those passing numbers go up and up and up and up and up. There's no question about it. But I also uh, threw this out there on the show and uh, got, got some heat from some people for it. I guess either A, people aren't impressed by it, or they maybe blame him for being in that situation to begin with. And that's what Russell Wilson is doing when he faces pressure, uh, he's uh, the most pressured quarterback in the NFL, as you know, and he has been now, I think, for the last three years or so. But he's also got the fourth highest completion percentage when under pressure. I mean, for example, uh, Teddy Bridgewater is right behind him as far as the most pressured quarterback in the NFL, but his completion percentage under pressure is 15th. Uh, Nick Foles is third, but his completion percentage under pressure is 21st. Russell's the only guy in the NFL to be in the top 10 in pressures per drop back and also completion percentage under pressure. And I threw that out there, and I heard back from the uh, the naysayers saying, well, he brings a lot of that pressure on himself by hanging onto the ball too long and running into defenders. Uh, what does that stat or those numbers say to you at all, if anything? I, I think I – think- you know, you can tilt your head one way or the other. I think it says different things. I think it says he is an incredibly accurate thrower um, on the run. I think he's one of the one of the better ones, um, and that he is comfortable when he's under pressure. That's that's a place that he he does perform well. So I do think there's some some validity to that. But I also Dave think yeah, he absolutely creates some of his own pressure. And the thing I'd add beyond that is he is very unwilling to throw the ball away. I mean, we've seen him take sacks running out of bounds one yard behind the line of scrimmage where all you got to do is throw the ball, you know, five feet in front of you and you don't lose a yard or take a sack. So this is a guy that, um, 
you know, needs to get more comfortable living to, to fight another day. Yep. I would argue that, you know, that second and 10 um, player, the first and 10, I think it was second and 10 that he threw the interception against San Francisco in the red zone. Like, that's a great example. Like, yeah, the, the guy was there, but you know, you've got to be willing to, to take an incompletion. And, um, you know, he just, he seems unwilling to do that um, uh, too often. Yeah, he just uh, always wants to keep that play alive and never wants to give up. And Daryl Bevel addressed that the other day. I think he said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here, that, hey, we don't mind that because for the four or five plays or three or four plays out of 20 where he does take the sack, there's the other five or six where he does make something happen, turning chicken crap into chicken salad. So, uh, But I'm with you, though, because they're not good enough offensively right now to be overcoming you know, second and 14, third and 15, the way some other offenses are. Uh, but the defense, as you mentioned, uh, played lights out. Michael Bennett now leading the league in sacks with six and a half overall. Uh, great to get Jordan Hill back this weekend, if that's going to be the case on, on Sunday against Dallas. And I don't know, man, I just look at the, at the matchups on paper, and I, I just don't envision any excuse to go to Dallas and lose to Matt Castle. Not for a guy who's thrown more picks than touchdowns in three years and three weeks ago was uh, booted by the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, this, this definitely is a game that, I mean, the, the Seahawks have to have and the Seahawks should get. I mean, they're very fortunate to be playing um, a team with a backup quarterback, um, a guy that, you know, threw three picks last week and, you know, I, you know, I think there's a lot of questions of, of what he's capable of. Um, you know, they talk about getting someone like Des Bryant back, and I think that that certainly has some impact anytime you get a really good player back. But, um, you know, the Cowboys are also losing guys like uh, Barry Church, their safety. It looks like he may not make it, and he's one of their best run defenders, um, you know, out of the back there. So, and that secondary's had some trouble anyway. So, uh, you know, I think this is an, another great game where the offense can show that, that they're more than, than what they've been. Um, I think that uh, Jordan Hill's a great, a great call by you, a guy that's really important to get back. It's surprising. He's actually had a really nice season, but he hasn't, doesn't have a sack yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it'd be great to see him, him, him get back on that track. And I'm kind of curious to see what happens with Marcus Burley. Um, you know, he's, he's been back at practice supposedly has a cast on his hand. No, it's um, off. The cast is off. I saw him Wednesday. The cast is off, but he'll play with some kind of contraption on there on Sunday for sure. Well, he's a guy that, you know, uh, has, I think, uh, been a, a decent player for them. I think the Seahawks certainly are better with him than without him. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really curious. And, and the last thing I kind of throw out a bunch of random things here, but the last thing I'm really curious about, Dave, is, is where they go with center. Um, I thought Patrick Lewis um, – just from a snapping the ball perspective, I thought there was a very clear difference in the speed and the um, you know certainty of the snaps with with Patrick Lewis in the game mm-hmm. against uh, the Panthers than uh, I've seen with this Drew Nowak. So, kind of curious to see what they do with uh, the different centers available to them. Yeah, I just wonder how much of that call in the end is going to be Tom Cables or does Pete Carroll overrule him and say, "Hey, you've." Uh, You've had seven games to get this guy going. It's not happening, so let's go with Patrick Lewis because I think they feel like there might be more upside with Nowak when it's all said and done, but there's also a bigger downside, I think, is the problem with him compared to Patrick Lewis. Yeah, and, I mean, (laughs) it's hard for me to imagine Pete Carroll overruling Tom Cable. I don't think that's his style, and 
Um, well, he should be able to. He's the damn head coach. He certainly has the Come capability on. of doing it. Um, I just don't think that's his style. Um, and, you know, look, uh, you, you don't have to look farther than, you know, the guys that people are bringing in, you know, um, Tom Cable, you know, I think is largely responsible for a lot of the offensive linemen that have been drafted because I think he's given that authority. And um, I think, you know, Chris Richard, I, I kind of lay Kerry Williams at his feet. I think Kerry Williams was, you know, a guy that the second, he, Chris Richard was a secondary coach. He interviewed him. He brought him in and he said he was, you know, he's going to be a good addition. And yep. Schneider goes out and spent a lot of money on him. I think that's kind of how Pete does things. And, and I think I believe in that generally as, as a leadership approach is, you put people you trust in those positions and you let them make the calls and be accountable and autonomous. Yep. But you know, you got to get results too. So yeah, I, 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 I'm okay with either Noak or Lewis. I don't think either one of them are a clear, you know, head and above shoulders above mm. the other. Um, but um, I did like some of what I saw from Lewis and, and I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more. Uh, Hawk blogger, Brian Nemhauser, hawkblogger.com with us on the radio show. You mentioned that defense for Dallas against the Seahawks offense and so much talk about facing Matt Castle and facing Darren McFadden and whether or not Des Bryant's going to play on Sunday, which I think he probably will when it's all said and done. Uh, but the, uh, the matchup of, uh, of Marshawn Lynch against that, that Dallas Cowboy run defense, because if you remember last year, Russell Wilson, you mentioned that you thought he had a great game last week. He did not have a good game against the Cowboys a year ago. 14 for 28, a buck 26, a pick, and a quarterback rating of 47.6, which is not good at all. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is a, a different deal now with Dallas, and you do see Russell Wilson put up big numbers, but I think we were reminded on Thursday night about kind of how important Marshawn Lynch still is to this offense, and I love the way they used Thomas Rawls in that game. It looks like Rawls may not be available to play on Sunday. That's why they went out and got the backup running back in, uh, in Bryce Brown. But boy, oh boy, man, when Marshawn Lynch is running the football the way he did Thursday against the 49ers, uh, that, that, that to me is Russell's best friend. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and this is a Cowboys defense that's, you know, 20th in the NFL in, in opponents' yards per carry. You know, they're giving up 4.2 yards a carry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're, they're higher in total, total yards rushing per game. I think they're 10th or something around there. But some of that's due to the fact that, um, you know, people are not running the ball as often against Dallas. I mean, they're, they're trying to attack that secondary. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think – this, the biggest factor in whether the Seahawks get the victory that everyone wants them to have, you know, Seahawks fans want them to have, is going to be their ability to establish that run game. And it's almost like, God, you know, you don't even need to, to know much about football or much about the Seahawks. It's going to be the answer almost every week is can they establish that run game? Yeah. Um, you saw how much not only does that affect the offense, but how does that affect the defense? You know, the, the fourth quarter pass rush was so much better just because they got a few – drives of a, over a couple minutes to give those guys a break so right uh, it's going to be key and I think there's good reason to expect they're going to be able to succeed with it you know you uh before you go you kind of uh I think hinted at this on Twitter the other day not that I'm stalking your Twitter account at Hawk Blogger <laughs> but you've got I think the same concern I do about this game is that okay uh Scott Linehan who is a former UW offensive coordinator now the play caller in Dallas He's not stupid. He knows what he has in Matt Castle, and obviously that changes a bit with Des Bryant coming back, but you still have to find a way to get him the football. Uh, Darren McFadden in this game on, on Sunday. I mean, to me, it kind of starts with taking him out, and if they can force Matt Castle to throw the football and really put the ball in the uh, hands of the passing attack for Dallas, 
I think they win the game and might even win the game rather easily. But Darren McFadden, to me, is uh, is no slouch. And to just assume the Hawks will shut him down, I think, is a mistake. No, but you know what? I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Uh, I'm oh, I am forward- too. Me too. Looking- I-, I think that the Seahawks' run defense has been kind of an un- unheralded part of the team so far this year. There's been so much else to to you know pay attention to but you know I think they've done reasonably well I don't think they've been fantastic but they they've been essentially you know a top 5 run defense um so far this year um and I think this is going to be a great test I think that that offensive line really took it to them last year yep. um in that game and I think there's a bit of pride that will come into play from the guys that were here I think Michael Bennett absolutely cares about that stuff and you know, hopefully Bobby Wagner's had some more time to rest and, and he's ready to have, I don't think Bobby's had a particularly great season. Um, you know, yes, he got hurt, but I don't think he's had, maybe, maybe he had one game where he really stood out, but I, I think he's really underperformed so far. This would be a great game for him to, yep. to join KJ Wright and Bruce Irvin, who are both having really good years. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I, 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 you know, I'd be very disappointed if, if the Cowboys are able to run it down the Seahawks throats. Um, that's, that's a sure fire way to make this a much closer game no doubt. Um, than anyone wants to see. You got your Halloween costume picked out yet for tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely. What is I'm go- it? I'm going as a uh, KJR radio host. So you're going to put on about 95 pounds. I well, I, I, used, I had all these pillows, but yeah. after you lost all the weight, I had to get rid of them. So I'm just going to pretty yeah. much go like myself. Well, I have uh, I I have plans after the show. Uh, I'm going to go get my hand blown off and go as Jason Pierre Paul. <laughs> so I'm all good to go. <laughs> nice. All right, pal. We'll talk next week, man. All right. Take care, Dave. You bet. Brian Nemhauser. Find him on Twitter at HawkBlogger and on the web at HawkBlogger.com. Thanks for checking the podcast out. We'll talk to you next week.